Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 221 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Managing Supplier Relationships. Take the long view. Now, times are tough. No matter what country you're in, inflation is on the rise, input costs are escalating, and companies are tightening their belts. Many are laying off staff in an attempt to preserve their margins and keep the wolves away from the door. And it won't be long before companies squeeze their suppliers in an attempt to find further cost reductions. Unfortunately, the companies that supply goods and services to your business are facing exactly the same pressures that you are. Their costs are rising too and they're experiencing the same difficulty in finding and keeping really good people. So how do you make sure that you're getting the best deal possible from all your suppliers without squeezing them to the point that they can't deliver what you need? Or in the worst case, they end up going out of business. I'll begin today with a look at what makes a really good contract. I'm then going to talk a little bit about where you might find cost savings with suppliers and how to tap into other sources of value. And I'll finish by exploring a critical concept, the illusion of risk transfer. So, let's get into it. Let's start with a couple of things that I think are really relevant when it comes to managing supplier relationships. The first is that it's the contract that sets the tone for how the relationship is managed. You have to have a strong, clear contract in place. 
but in the best customer supplier relationships, once the contract's been negotiated, it goes into the bottom drawer and rarely sees the light of day. Why? Well, because you manage on the core principles of the relationship with give and take, and you try to serve the intent of what's been agreed. On the other hand, if you go by the letter of what you're entitled to in the contract, well, that's all you'll ever get. You'll never get the sometimes invaluable benefits that come from being flexible and working through the swings and roundabouts with your supplier. Now, I'm not going to go into negotiating techniques in this episode. Negotiation skill is a complex and nuanced capability. We produced a podcast episode ages ago, two or three years ago. It was episode 75, Negotiation Fundamentals. I went back and had to listen to this as background to this episode, and I've got to say it's a cracker, even if I do say so myself. It's got a little bit about technique, a little bit about mindset, and quite a bit about temperament. Now, if you haven't listened to that one, it might be worth revisiting. But there are a couple of core principles to think about when establishing a new supplier contract that are pretty useful. The first is that it isn't a zero-sum game. Think about the size of the pie. The more value you can create in the overall deal, the more there is to share between the two parties once you get to that stage of the negotiation. So don't be transactional. Secondly, think about the outcome you want. What does a good negotiation result look like? Well, you've both got to walk away satisfied that you've got a good deal. If not, you'll have problems later on. And we'll go into this in a bit more detail shortly. The core concept here is, the best price isn't necessarily the best deal. Third, think about the appropriate allocation of risk. Now you really have to know what you're doing here. Each risk should ultimately be assigned to whichever party is in the best position to manage it. And how you price risk is critical. For example, when I was negotiating multi-year high-value contracts in bulk rail haulage, we understood risk profoundly. We had teams of analysts performing complex statistical analyses of historical patterns to price our risk. If we found ourselves in a negotiation and one of our customers said, we think you should take on this risk, well, we were able to determine the likelihood and the consequence of that risk occurring in a way that enabled us to price it appropriately. Okay, you want us to take on the risk of an event at the coal terminal loadout facility? No problem, we're happy to take it. And that's going to cost you an additional $0.07 per tonne. So having a handle on risk to that extent means you're much more likely to write a profitable contract. I'm just going to segue here to talk briefly about the role of procurement teams. Now, many larger organisations create specific functions for procurement, where specialist expertise is deployed to handle all supplier contracting. And procurement people generally have skills in, you know, tender creation and evaluation, uh, risk analysis, negotiation, vendor management, and so forth. However, relying on a centralised procurement team can create as many problems as it solves. So just be a little wary. The scoreboard that's normally given to a procurement team is one-dimensional. Cost savings. Now, if you're going to create a centralised team, you have to be able to justify that expense by getting better price outcomes with your suppliers. But we often tend to forget how much more there is to a supplier relationship than the price we pay. Now remember, the cheapest deal isn't necessarily the highest value deal. And although price is incredibly important, you also need to think about the balance of other factors as well. 
So how do you balance the contract price with the critical factors of service, quality, and risk? This is why it's so important not to just abrogate accountability for negotiating a contract to the procurement team. If indeed it's a supply that you're going to have to manage, you need to be involved in the process. There are two important things to remember about supply contracts. The first is that no matter how good the contract is, if the teams that the contract is intended for don't actually use it, well, it's not very useful. For example, in my days as a CIO, I saw contracts in large organisations with computer hardware suppliers that provided preferential pricing. Sometimes these would deliver deep savings, more than 30% discount to what you'd buy in the retail market. Yet there were pockets of the business that didn't actually purchase their hardware off the contract. Why? Well, because it was easier and more convenient to go down to the local Best Buy and pay retail price. No paperwork, no bureaucracy, no scrutiny, and no wait time. The second thing to bear in mind is that as soon as the contract's been executed, the procurement team likes to take a victory lap and claim the cost savings. Now, the only thing an improved supplier contract gives you is the potential to create savings. If the contract isn't administered properly by the business unit that sources its goods and services from it, the savings never materialise. For example, many contracts, like those for air travel, have rebates that are negotiated if certain volume thresholds are met. But someone has to track the volume and apply for the rebate. I've often seen money left on the table through poor contract management. So don't let this happen to you. That's unnecessary leakage just through lack of attention. And in my view, it's just dumb shit. If you really want to solve the dilemma of the disconnect between the procurement team and the part of the business that actually uses the contract, here's a really good hack. When procurement claims a saving, don't just applaud and stop there. Have the business unit verify and agree to the projected saving. Now, there may be a little tension in this step. Don't worry, you've got to expect that. But once the amount's been agreed, modify the business budget accordingly to bake in the savings. Quite often, this is the only way you'll be able to track and capture the potential benefits of a well-negotiated contract. Now, as I said at the outset, if you're facing increasing challenges with your cost base, chances are that your suppliers are too. But if the squeeze is on and you want to find cost savings in your supply contracts, how do you find fertile ground for negotiation? Well, let's get one thing really clear. If you simply ask for something for nothing, that won't work particularly well. You might get what you ask for, but your supplier will feel bullied, and they'll find a way to get even with you. And you may never know where and when they do that. So remember, a negotiation should always be about trading terms. So what can you trade? Well, maybe you can negotiate a lower price if you reduce the service levels that the contract stipulates. For example, what if we change the guaranteed turnaround time from one hour to four hours? Would that enable you to reduce your price? Then there are things like supply chain harmonisation. I remember hearing one story a few years ago of a major steel producer in Asia that was able to unlock a material amount of value by negotiating the storage and delivery of steel to its customers. This improved the efficiency for both parties and they were able to share those benefits. Now, having said that you should always trade terms, there are instances of straight-out gouging, 
where your suppliers will make extraordinary profits on certain items. And it's important to be aware of this and sniff out any of those items. Now, in a procurement transformation I ran many years ago, we used a technique called clean sheet modelling. It's basically an analytical tool, which you use to deconstruct the component costs of a product in an attempt to determine what the supplier margins truly are. In one case, we found a piece of equipment that the supplier was charging almost $2,500 per unit. When we deconstructed the component parts, added in allowances for shipping and handling, and a reasonable markup based on the supplier's cost of capital, we figured it was actually worth only a little more than $400. Now that was a fun conversation to be involved in. We actually sat across the table from them and said, look, we know we've been paying almost $2,500 for this piece of equipment, but let us show you our calculations. The looks on their faces were priceless. We clearly caught them out. Needless to say, the pricing of that item plummeted overnight and the supplier amended the contract accordingly. That was worth it. Just one other thing I'd like to mention in terms of finding savings when you're tightening your belts. Price reductions are a blunt instrument. And even if you manage to win some, they don't come without consequences and flow-on effects. So think about negotiating something else that can deliver value instead of just trying to always pull that price lever. Here are three other value levers that I've been able to exploit in the past. The first is to take advantage of not asking for a price increase when every one of their other customers is doing it. There have been times in the past where I've actually said to suppliers, look, we're happy to hold the price where it is for now because we know you're under pressure too. But in return, when it comes to a trade-off between your various customers, well, guess what? We want to be at the front of the queue. We want to have access to your best people, your fastest response times and your premium assets. And we want all of that written into our contract. Now that worked particularly well. We got the benefit of elevated priority with that supplier, which ultimately made our own business more efficient. And it didn't cost us anything. The only thing we had to do was point out the fact that we weren't like all their other customers in trying to squeeze them on price. The second lever is to build in year-on-year -year price reductions. Now this puts a trajectory of continuous improvement into the contract. Your supplier commits to baking in business improvements into what they do. In the past, I've written large contracts like this as a supplier by estimating the trajectory of improvement that comes through high productivity, process efficiencies, and deploying leading-edge technology. If you're a supplier, it's great to be able to say to a customer, hey, look, you don't need to pit us against our competitors to get a better deal. We're going to hold ourselves to account in the contract for getting better every year and passing a share of those savings on to you. If you're a customer, you can ask for that too. It doesn't impact your supplier's current business, but it sets an expectation of efficiency improvement over time. And if they're not doing that already, what the hell are they doing? The third and final lever is contingency contracts. This allows you to factor in changes that may occur in the future. For example, today the price of diesel fuel might be $4.75 per gallon. And that's the assumption that your supplier has made to price the contract. But if the diesel price falls to $4.50, well guess what, you might want a share of that extra profitability to come through in the contract back to you as the customer. This recognises the current realities of the market, so you're not trying to squeeze their margins now, 
but it bakes in the expectation that things might improve in the future. And if you're smart, it means that the future benefit doesn't just land in your supplier's net profit after tax. I just want to finish with a brief but very important point. We sometimes suffer from the illusion of risk transfer. If we're finding that something is very difficult to manage, it can seem really attractive to just outsource the problem. Get an external supplier to take it on. Then we don't have to worry about it anymore. They'll carry the risk, not us. For example, we may be finding it difficult to get highly competent and capable people in cybersecurity. They're overly expensive. We don't have to pay for them. Turnover's high. No sooner do we find a good person, than another good one leaves. It's just a revolving door of high cost, low skill and management headaches. So the temptation is to say, bugger it, I'll give it to a supplier to manage. But a better question is, can an external supplier manage the risk better than I can? Now often this might well be the case. Specialist cybersecurity firms may find it easier to attract and retain the skills that you need. Well, at least with a higher likelihood of success than you're going to have trying to build a cybersecurity team in, say, a law firm. So there is something in this, right? But although the logic isn't necessarily wrong, the theory and the reality can sometimes be really far apart. Often, the market is the market, and your potential supplier faces exactly the same pressures in managing that function as you're already experiencing yourself doing it internally. If you're finding it hard to manage a risk, chances are so are your suppliers. But you manage to give yourself this warm, fuzzy feeling when you've negotiated and executed a good contract that shifts the risk to the supplier. Well, here's the thing. Let's say you manage to outsource your cybersecurity. The contract allocates the risk firmly to the supplier. And there might be even penalties in the contract for not meeting the service levels that have been agreed. But what happens when there's a cybersecurity incident. A ransomware attack. Theft of your customer's personal information. Blackouts to critical systems. Where do you think people look for that failure? Well, I'll give you a hint. It's not the supplier. This is why I call it the illusion of risk transfer. You can outsource the task, but you can't outsource the accountability for running your company the way your stakeholders expect. Managing supplier relationships can be tricky, so I hope this episode's given you a few practical ideas for how to optimise yours. Our tendency is to focus on the one-dimensional lever of price. And while that's pretty important, there's so much more value to be captured if you get creative and look further afield. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 221. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode with another leader in your network. You know it's going to do them good. I look forward to next week's episode, where I welcome M back to the mic with another Q&A episode. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. <laughs>